Hallelujah. You know, in Luke chapter 24, we're going to be getting into a passage. This is after the Lord Jesus had resurrected. And how many of you know after he resurrected, the disciples kind of got a picture. They kind of got a glimpse. You didn't, you, there was no mistake about it in a lot of ways. Thomas even had the, the, the awesome opportunity to see the holes in his hand and to see this side where he had been struck with that spear. And in Luke chapter 24, which, like I said, mo- most people say this is Paul's gospel through Luke. Uh, but we're going to begin here in verse number 45. This is after the Lord resurrected. He had to take time in, in, and help explain to the disciples what was going on. How many of you know that the disciples weren't theologians at the beginning? They were fishermen. They were sometimes they they were tax collectors. They were this, that, or the other. And the Lord is a good shepherd, and He took time to make sure that they knew what was going on. And you know, one of the things that I often tell people is, if you're not sure, just go back to the Word of God, and the Word of God will show you the truth. Amen. If you're not sure on an issue, and so Jesus here in verse 45 says, then He opened, then opened He their understanding that they might understand. The scriptures, this is a work that only God does. This is uh, taking the scripture out of just formality and precept and bring it into reality, bring it into where it's alive, bring it into that place to where it's done changed. This is not using the word of God as a library book, but using the word of God as what it is, quick and powerful. It is, it is, uh, it is still able to save souls, it's still able to set the captives free. It's still able to break the chains of bondage. It's still able to take you out of darkness and into light. It's still able to sober up the drunk. It's still able to set the drug addict free. It's still able to remove the guilty stain of our sin if we'll hold to the Word of God and allow Him to do all that He needs to do in us. How many of you know that Jesus is the Word? He is the Word manifest in flesh. Amen? And when you get alone with that Word and you come and you ask Him for an understanding, I want you to know that Jesus loves he loves to break down that word for you he loves so that you'll understand it I want you to know he took time because he's a good shepherd he took time with the disciples because he wanted them to get it and he wants us to get it as well but what did he want them to get look at this I just want you to see that that Jesus took time so that we could see that there there has to be a transition from precept informality into reality. There has to be that transition from the the black and white letter to the living book. He says in verse 46, He said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you were witnesses of these things. Now, if you don't know what your calling in life is, there you go. You should be preaching repentance and remission of sins in His name. That's a calling that we all have. We don't need to know anything else except that God has sent us out. And we should be preaching repentance and remission of sins in His name. We shouldn't be out, you know, bringing in golf clubs and and setting up card tables and and having banquets. We should be out preaching repentance and remission of sins in His name. And now, it says that that we're called to do that to all nations. That means all nations. All there means all. It says, and you are witnesses of these things. This part I want to get to, verse 49. 
He said, this is still red letters, by the way. This is still coming from the master. Look what he says. He said, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. This, I want you to see something. Jesus said here that he will send the promise. I want you to know that Jesus is, is, is quoted as being the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. See, the John the Baptist baptized in water. Jesus didn't do that. But Jesus baptizes in the Holy Ghost. He baptizes in fire. Amen? He, he, he causes things to come alive. He, he empowers. And he said that this is the promise from the Father. He said, I'll send the promise of the Father upon you. I want you to see something important. This is God the Father's promise. How many of you know if I promise my kid something, I'm going to do everything I can do to honor that promise that I promised my child? If I promise my child I'm going to be there when you have your thing at school, I promise you, I want you to know I will do everything I can to get there. But it's possible, it's possible that maybe my boss isn't good and I can't make it or maybe something happens and I get caught up in traffic. How many of you know God's not going to get caught up in traffic? How many of you know that God, God doesn't have a boss? How many of you know that, that when God promises something, that it is His pleasure and His desire to give you what He promised? To do what He said. It is God's desire that we receive this promise from the Father. What is the promise? Power from on high. This is, this, this is what I want you to see. When, when Jesus was explaining this to the disciples, they knew the facts and the precepts of the resurrection. They knew the facts and the precepts of repentance. They knew the facts and the precepts of remission of sins, but they were still lacking one major huge thing, power. It's like if you have a TV, but you don't plug it in the wall. Sure is pretty just sitting there collecting dust, but it's not doing anything, right? But you've got to have that power in order for the thing to come on. And, and here, I want you to see that they had the precepts. They had the black and white letter of it down. They had the formality down. They knew it. If anybody knew it, they knew it. They saw, they saw his hands. They saw him alive from the dead. They saw him walk through walls. They saw him vanish in midair. They saw him just transpose himself. And then in one moment he said, you've got all of it down. You've got the facts of it down. You've got the black and white of it down. You've got it, but you don't have the power. And he said, you need to go tarry in Jerusalem, right? Until you're endued with this power from on high. Now, this one thing I want to get into is this power. We're going to be talking about this power tonight. This power comes from on high. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from what you understand. It doesn't come from what I understand. It comes from heaven. It's a heavenly power. And it's the Father's promise to you. If you're a child of God, He's promised it to you if you'll tarry. He's promised it to you if you'll tarry. 
This is not just for the first century Christians. God doesn't change. We're still in the church age. We're going to be in the church age until the rapture of the church. We're going to be here until that trumpet sounds and the Lord calls us home and the dead in Christ rise. And then we which are alive and remain are caught up together with them in the clouds. Until that day, it's the church age, the same age that Pentecost began. We're still in until God calls us out of this place. And when he does, it'll be different. But until then, the promise of the Father is to pour out his power on those that will tarry and wait on him. Well, how long you got to tarry? That's between you and the Lord. That's between you and the Lord. But his promise is to give you the power if you'll tarry. Now, I want you to see, there, we're going we're gonna to look at a few scriptures on, uh, along the lines of what this power is. But the main thing I want you to see is this is a, a, a heavenly power. You can't go to a conference. You, you, you can't buy somebody's book. You can't get the t-shirt. You can't pay extra for it. It's God's pleasure to pour out this promise on those that tarry. God won't be bought. You know, one of the guys in, in the book of Acts, Simon, he tried to buy this gift. He said, he said, I want that so that I can give the Holy Ghost to whoever I lay hands on. Because he saw what the Holy Ghost would do in people's lives. And Peter rebuked him. Today, people would say, well, how much money you got? But Peter rebuked him and he said, this gift is not for sale. Amen? So it is, it is, and it's not ours to give, it's God's. This is the promise of the Father, and it comes through the Son, and the Holy Ghost comes on those that are willing to tarry. But I want you to, before we go over, I just want you to, I want you to notice that. These disciples had all the facts of the gospel. They had every last fact down. If you ask them the gospel, they could have regurgitated everything necessary for somebody to get saved. They knew who Jesus was. They knew his death, his burial, his resurrection, and they preached repentance and remission of sins in his name. They got it down. But they didn't have the power in their life. And you might say, power for what? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Turn with me over to the book of 2 Peter. We're going to begin over there. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse number 2. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 2. This promise of the Father is one of the most important promises in the New Testament because it directly applies to the church and it takes the church out of this place of going through the motions and knowing things in a formal way, as Paul says in one place, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. We've been called to a higher standard as the church of the living God. We've been called to a place where we're not only having a form of godliness but we know the power thereof. We have the anointing on our life and we have the ability to do all that God's called us to do we can't do that on our own how many of you know that you can't do that on your own if you could do it on your own why would the father send the Holy Ghost I think the Holy Ghost would probably rather be still in heaven I mean I wouldn't want to be here in this sin infested place if I was holy 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 and yet his job is to come here and empower us so that we can live a holy life in an unholy world and so it, it, if, if, it's, if it's necessary for the Holy Ghost to come from heaven to here to empower us, 
then we have to understand this. We can't do it without Him. Amen? We, this, is not, this is not one of those, well, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, fly under the radar things. I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Hang with me here. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 2. Peter says this, he said, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. First off, grace and peace can be multiplied. You, you haven't got all that you need. Thing, you can grow in the things of God. They can be multiplied. You haven't hit where God wants you to stay. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through knowing God, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power. Whose power? God's power. His divine power. I want you to see something. Divine means that it comes from heaven. This is not a power that you stumbled across, that you found a secret that nobody else knows about, that you said the magic word, or you found the magic bean. This power comes from heaven. It's called a divine power because it's from the Father. It says, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. Now, this divine power is at work in the world today, and and it may or may not be at work in you, but God's desire is that you do have this divine power. This divine power gives you the ability for God to work in your life everything that's according to life and godliness. I believe that covers all bases. Everything that you need for life and everything that you need to be a godly folk, God covers that. God gives you the ability for that. It is not about sometimes just having an extra star by your name as a Christian and you've got that star. It is about God supplying your need for life and your need for godliness. And, and, and look, this, if, if, if you want to think about this critically, this means that we do not have the ability to live the life that God desires us to live and to be godly in this world without His divine power at work in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's looking for seeking hearts. He's looking for humble hearts. He's looking for folks that will tarry. He's not looking for superstars. He's not looking for, for, the, for eloquence. He's not looking for that. He's looking for humble humility. He's looking for people that are willing to come and bow down before Him and seek His face and wait on Him and tarry before Him. God's looking for those kind of folks. He says in the next verse, He says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I want you to see something right there. Being a partaker of the divine nature means that it is God's pleasure 
It is God's pleasure to invite you to that divine nature place. It is God's pleasure to pour out His Spirit upon you so that you're able to operate in a way that is divine. That you're no longer operating in your own strength. You're no longer operating in your own environment. You're no longer operating in what you know naturally. But it is God's good pleasure to pour out His promise on His children so that you don't have to walk in your own understanding and in your own strength, but you can actually partake of God that God would actually be alive in you, that God would actually be stirring you up, and God would actually be reproving you and rebuking you and exhorting you and empowering you so that that divine power would be at work in you. So that you'll actually be a partaker of that divine nature. That you won't look at the things of God when He says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Or, or you won't see those things and think that that's not for you. But because that power of God's at work in you, You'll say, yes, yes, I can live holy unto God because the power of God that's working in me. God's desire for us is to partake of that divine nature. You know, we have to understand that there's more. There's more that God has for us. And it, it has, we have to come to that place where we realize we must tarry before Him and wait for that empowerment to come from on high so that we can be who God's called us to be in this generation. We will never be the mothers or the fathers unless we are partakers of the divine nature that God's called us to be. We will never be the, the, the husbands or the wives. We'll never be the, the neighbor. We'll never be the employee. We'll never be the, the, the man or the woman of God that he's called us to be until we're actually partaking of that divine nature. It's not about going through the motions. It's not about knowing the precepts. It's not about getting a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about getting this, that, and the other. It is about being empowered with the divine from on high. And God's looking to do that in our generation. You know, our generation has a form of godliness. You can go in different denominations, different church circles, and every church circle has its, its, its form of godliness. But you know what? You can't shout godliness out. You, 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 you can get loud and not have an anointing on your life. It's not about how loud you get and about how you know you speak. It's not about your 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 the way that you use your vocabulary and the way that you use your encyclopedia and your Greek and your Hebrew. It's about the anointing of God. That anointing of God doesn't come from encyclopedias. The anointing of God doesn't come from the Greek or from the Hebrew. The anointing of God doesn't come from your denomination headquarters. The anointing of God doesn't come from the way that you do any of that. It comes from the Holy Ghost. It comes from God. God Almighty, and it's his, it is His pleasure to pour out that Spirit upon His children. It's the anointing that makes the difference. You can know all the right things and not have the power to do it in. Amen? How I many of you know that you can read a book about how to drive a car for only so long, but it's a whole different story when you get behind that wheel. And you can know all the facts that you need to know, but there's a whole different thing when that anointing comes on your life and you actually have the ability to live a godly life in a godless world. You'll be actually going upstream and not being mad about it. You'll have the joy of the Lord as the world is hitting you and mocking you and ridiculing you. The anointing of God and the power of God and the smile from heaven will be upon you because you're His child. It is His pleasure to pour out His Spirit on His people 
This is the promise of the Father. This is the promise of the Father. I want you to see that it is this the partaking of this divine nature. One thing it does at the end of that verse, it says having escaped. Having escaped what? The corruption that's in the world. God, when his anointing comes on your life, he takes you out of the corruption. Now, the word corrupt there, it means corrupt. It means dead, decaying. You know that the world has its way of taking the joy out of your life? You can have just the most greatest day in the world and then get a bill in the mail. Oh, man. That boss call you or this happened or, you know... Somebody doesn't do this or somebody doesn't do that. And it just takes all the joy out of the room. But you know, that's corruption. And that the joy of the Lord is not dictated by how people treat us. The joy of the Lord is not dictated by our worldly circumstances. The joy of the Lord comes from a different place. It comes from heaven. And it's not bound or it's not, it's not structured by our circumstances, but by our position in God. And you see, this corruption that we escape from by, the, by partaking of this divine nature, that corruption includes things of sin. This is, it, it, it takes us to that place where nobody has to remind us that we don't have to, we're not supposed to lie, right? It takes you out of that place of corruption and it takes you into a whole other realm. It takes you into a whole other realm where there's a power at work in you. Nobody even has to tell you not to lie. There's a Holy Ghost power in you, a supercharged power. How, what do we mean by this? Well, what I said at the beginning is it's how you transition from knowing things about God in precept and knowing things about God in reality, knowing the power thereof. Not having a form of godliness and denying the power of it, but having a form of godliness and knowing the power of it. That's where God wants you to be. That's where God wants all of us to be. And if the, church, if the church is going to get to the place that God wants us to get to, we're going to have to take time to be holy. We're going to have to take time to set apart from the world. We're going to have to take time to, to shut ourselves in and to go before the Lord and allow the Holy Ghost to empower us from on high. That's what it takes. It doesn't take you going to Tennessee to a conference. It doesn't take you going and buying this, that, or the other. It takes us shutting the door, shutting ourselves in with God, taking time to be holy, and pursuing Him with all of our heart. Now, this divine power shows that it is, it is not a religious or a worldless understanding, but it's a supernatural in-working of God. The word divine there is key. Because it shows you that it's not about a natural understanding. It's not about a religious understanding. It's not about my lingo or your lingo. It's not about my group or your group. It's a divine power. It means it comes from the creator of the universe. It comes from Him. And that's what we need in us. We need the creator to be working in us through His Holy Spirit. If we're going to escape the corruption in the world... We need God in us, working, empowering us. Amen? Amen? If we're going to be the people God's called us to be. But if, if you're going to escape the, the corruption in this world, you're going to need the Holy Ghost in your life. Now, let me show you something over in 1 Thessalonians. Just flip back a few pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
You know, whenever the Lord Jesus was explaining to the disciples about the promise of the Father, you, you, you have to understand that there are some things that, that you can teach, but there's some things that have to be experienced. And the Holy Ghost is one of those things. You can teach and teach and teach and teach about the Holy Ghost, but until somebody experiences the Holy Ghost, it's a totally different story. And, and, and Jesus, you know, whenever he was there, right before he ascended back to heaven, he, I mean, he was a visible teaching to the disciples. He taught them the resurrection in visible form. He taught them, you know, all these things. And he taught them what they were supposed to be preaching and what they were supposed to be doing. But they didn't have the experience. They had the facts, but they didn't have the power. And, you know, you, sometimes you look at the church today and you say, why is the church the way that it is? Why are we so enamored with politics? Why are we getting ourselves caught up in the things of the world? We're, we're, we're supposed to be escaped from the corruption of the world, but it seems like the church in our generation is just coming right back into that corruption. We're beginning to try to solve problems from a worldly perspective using worldly men and, and seeking answers from our, our political people instead of from the throne of heaven. We're supposed to find the answers for our generation at the throne and at the altar instead of at the White House or at the governor's mansion or at, at the mayor's office. We're supposed to be good, going to God and finding the power for our generation and leading people to Him. Amen? That's what we need. Our world, our generation needs a move of God. We don't need a new law. We don't need somebody to, 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 to institute some new uh, political thing. We don't need new political agendas. We don't need new political parties. We need God. We need the Holy Ghost. And we need revival in our land and in our churches and in our homes. And until we tarry before God, we won't receive that power that God has promised us. And we see it in our day. We see people running and crawling before politicians, begging, oh, would you run for office? All our hopes are on you. You are, you are the one that we need. Nuh-uh. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need a move of the Holy Ghost. God can clean out and clear out all kinds of sin in one moment of time. You can legislate sin all you want till the cows come home, but it is the power of the Holy Ghost that eradicates sin. You don't need to write a law about it when the Holy Ghost eradicates it. It is the Holy Ghost, the divine nature of God that lifts us out of this place of corruption. We don't use, we don't use the corruptible means. It is the Holy Ghost that accomplishes these things. Amen? This is, a, this is, you know, a lot of times you look at the church and I think the church would fit in well with the Old Testament because the Old Testament was all about we need more laws. 5,000 laws, not enough. We need more. We need 600 this. We need this. And we need a law about this. We need, you know, how many of you know, sometimes we feel like that. When, the, when there's no, when there's no uh, power pushing you and propelling you into godliness, you need the don'ts. Don't eat pork. Don't combine threads. Don't eat shellfish. Don't do this. Don't do that. You need all that. But God's desire is that we actually have the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, empowering us to live godly lives in this godless world. And when we don't have that, we try to make up for it with laws. And when we don't have that, we try to look to politicians for the answer. 
And when we don't have that, we look to denominations and we look to men and we look to women instead of looking to Jesus. Amen? So uh, Paul here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'm going to move you down to verse number 5. He said here, For our gospel, our gospel, came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. When Paul preached the gospel to the Thessalonians, he did not preach in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. That shows you right there that we have to get as a church past this place where we're only looking at the formality of the letter and we're looking at the precept of the words and we move to that place where we're actually having an encounter with the living God, where God is actually doing a work in us and through us. How does that look? What does it look like to have that? That's what I would call an empowered life. An empowered life is different than a changed life. I want to show you something right now. Religion can change a life. The Holy Ghost empowers a life. And I believe this is critical for our, for this day, for this time that you hear this. A changed life is one thing, but an empowered life is total another enchilada. Religion changes folks. Let me give you an example. You can write a law. If you steal an apple, you lose a hand. You steal two apples, you lose two hands. That's my religion. Well, guess what? Your religion can change a thief because if he steals two apples, he don't have any more hands to steal with. He's no longer a thief in practice. You've removed his ability in practice, but you haven't touched his heart. See, religion can change the situation. Religion can take a hammer and beat somebody down enough to where they don't do that anymore. But it doesn't empower them to live godly. Only the Holy Ghost can do that. You see, the Holy Ghost, when, he, when the Holy Ghost comes into your life, He comes in like a flood. And He lifts up that standard and he raises you to a place that you don't have the ability to get to, he put, he, you then become a partaker of the divine nature, and now you're not a thief, not because he cut your hands off, but because he changed your heart. The Holy Ghost can take that heart of stone out and give you a heart that responds to the Lord. The Holy Ghost will come and write the law of the living Lord on your heart and He'll compel you to live a holy life. You, you'll have things going on in your life that you never even knew about. That's what the Holy Ghost does. So religion can change somebody and tie their hands behind their back or cut their hands off or, or beat them with a hammer, but only the Holy Ghost can actually empower somebody to live live a righteous and holy life in this generation when you look at the issues that america is facing and you look at the issues that the world is facing ask yourself this all politicians can do is make those kind of laws that actually just change folks temporarily but only a revival only the church preaching the correct gospel only a move of the holy ghost can actually take us to the place that god wants us to be and empower us to live a righteous and holy life 
He said that that divine nature, if you remember in that verse, he said that that divine nature, it be at work in your life according to life and godliness. See, that's that divine nature. That divine nature takes you to that place where you're able to live a holy life under God, where you don't have those desires. You see, you, 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 can, you can be a, 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 a drug addict, and you can make laws about this and that, and you can take them out, but you can't take the sin out of their life. You can, you can handcuff somebody, but you can't take the sin out of somebody. You can, you, you can tell them, you can't hate me. You can make them get a coloring page and, and, and color, I will not hate. You, you, can, you can do all that you can do, but you can't take it out of their heart. Only the Holy Ghost can do that. Only the Holy Ghost, not only does He take it out, but He puts something else in. See, the Holy Ghost is not only removing something, but He's actually pouring in something. He's not only taking out what is not right, but He's actually pouring in what is right and what is godly and what is true. And He's actually moving you to this place of empowerment. So Paul said, we didn't come and preach the gospel in word only. We came and preached it in power and in the Holy Ghost. Whenever the gospel is preached, Jesus started it in Luke chapter 24. He didn't let the disciples just get by with knowing the facts about the gospel he said you need to go and tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the father and what we see here is Paul's following the same suit Paul said look it's not enough for you to know the word of the gospel you need to know the power of the gospel you need to know the Holy Ghost we didn't come and just give you words we came and also imparted to you power from on high and that's what we need in our generation. We Look, you try to raise a child in this world. You're going to have to have a boldness to stand for what is right in a world that is wrong. You try to, you try to stay married in this world today. When, when, when the enemy is out to destroy marriages, destroy homes, destroy the, the manliness of men and the, and, the, and, and the way that women are supposed to be, he's out to destroy society, ripping it apart at a very fabric, feminizing men and, 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 and making women more manly and, 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 and this whole homosexuality going and we've got abortion rampant in our land and we've got this, that, and the other. Because the enemy is out to destroy. He's removing fathers from homes. He's removing the voice from the pulpit. We're, we're supposed to be thundering, thus saith the Lord, and speaking God's word without apologizing for God. But instead, we have coffee shop talk and jokes and story hour about what happened when I was shopping yesterday and how you can be like me if you buy my book. When we don't need that. What we need is God. What we need is the Holy Spirit. What we need is the gospel. We need it preached in word, but we also need the power of that as well. We need the truth, and we need the truth on fire. And that's what Paul is getting at right here. And I want you to see that it is God's, it is, it is God's promise. This is God's desire that you not only know the gospel in word, but that you also have the power at work in you. 
See, God's desire is not that you go around and you're like, oh, I shouldn't do that. I need to tie that hand behind my back. You know, um, somebody you know, might say, well, you know, I'm bound by pornography. I just can't get it. I, you know, I, I'm going to have to cut off the Internet. But you know what? When the Holy Ghost comes on you, you don't have to cut off the Internet because the, 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 the grip that pornography had on your life has been cut off, not the Internet. You see, when the, when the Holy Ghost empowers you, He removes that place. He removes the authority that Satan had in your life and He cuts it off and He flips it over and He now gives you the, the power and the anointing on your life. So you, 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 you might say, well, you know, I'm an alcoholic, can't be around anybody that drinks. Well, you know, Jesus, He was around people that drink. But He never drunk. He never got drunk. You know what? When, when you have that power on your life, you don't, have to, you don't have to tell everybody, you've got to do this for me and you've got to do that for me. No, no, no. If God's in you, you've got it. You've got it. You've got that anointing on your life. Nobody on God's green earth can cause you to fall when God causes you to stand. He that is in you is greater than he that's in this world. One of those old prophets, Balaam, tried to curse God's people when he looked at that old man and he said, I can't curse what God has blessed. If God's blessing is upon you and God's anointing is upon you, there's no power in hell that can come against you in Jesus' name. He said all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me and I give it to you. God's anointing is upon his children. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. You see, God, that's his promise. That's his heritage to his church, to his people. His desire is that you walk free and that you walk in power and that you walk in authority, that you walk in that anointing. And you don't have to go around saying, oh, I did this. I need to tie my hand behind my back because that power of God is at work in you. That divine, listen, that divine power is at work. Not yours, not mine, God. God's at work in you. And when God's at work in you, you don't have to tie your hand behind your back because there's something different in you. God takes out that that root. God takes out that place where Satan has had authority over you and he pulls it out and he puts his power in. You might, you know, I, I, you could talk about drunkenness, you could talk about drugs, you could talk about pornography, it could be homosexuality, it could be guilt from a sinful past, it could be something that the devil is just whooping you with. But you know, one of the things that the, the, the anointing of God does is he, he, the anointing of God lets you know that you're His. That you're His. That you're His child. That you're His. That He loves you. That the blood of Jesus is enough to cleanse you and set you free. Even if you committed murder seven times or had three abortions or, or maybe you were caught up in a homosexual lifestyle or maybe you were just bound by this or bound by that, I want you to know that the blood of the Lamb of God is more than enough to cleanse you of every guilty stain. If you'll come to Him and repent and cry out to Him, I want you to know that God is no respecter of persons. Whether you stole bubble gum or robbed a bank, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sins, he said he remembers them no more. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers them no more. He puts them in the sea of forgetfulness. It is God's desire to cleanse you. So if the enemy wears you out with guilt or wears you out in sin or wears you out by whatever, I want you to know God is greater. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. Amen? And that's why... 
That's why the Lord said that that's why the Lord said that you need to tarry until you're endued with power from on high. Amen. I want to show you one more place. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 26, I want to pick up what Paul says over here in Acts 26. He was sharing his testimony. How many of you know he had a testimony? When Paul got saved, he didn't get saved with just pretense. He didn't get saved in word only, but he actually got blinded. He actually got stopped on the road to Damascus, and he actually had a changed life. He... Paul didn't get this, you know, squeeze my hand and repeat after me stuff. Paul didn't get, you know, wink at me if you got it stuff. Paul was walking one way and he got blinded by the glory of God and he went a completely different way for the rest of his life. He went a completely different way and he never had to repent again for that. I mean, God changed him. And God can change you the same. God, God doesn't give, you know, somebody 60% of the Holy Ghost and somebody else 30% of the Holy Ghost and somebody else 10% of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. So watch this. Paul's giving his testimony over here in Acts 26. I, I want to just pick up something that he says just, just to drive this point home. Paul said in, in verse number 17, he said, delivering the, this, he's, he's quoting what Jesus said, okay? This is Jesus' um, words to him. Now let me just read it in verse 15. Paul said, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Now listen to this part. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Who's he sending Paul to? Gentiles. And watch what he's going to preach to the Gentiles. How many of you know? You're probably more, if you're listening to this, you're probably a Gentile. Okay. Listen, look. He said, now I send you to the Gentiles, look, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. That's salvation, guys. And now watch this. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Part of the gospel that Paul preached was not only the words to take you out of darkness and into light, not only the words to open your eyes, but to take you out of the power of Satan and to the power of God. That's that inheritance I want you to see. You see, it is not about you limping through and you struggling through, but it is about the power of Satan being broken off of your life. That, that authority that he's had, that seat that he's had, that, that place that he's had to rule over your life would be broken. That the power, Jesus said, this is the gospel that he gave Paul, and Paul's given it to the Gentiles to take us out of darkness and into light and to break the power of Satan, and to bring us to the power of God. I want you to know, don't stop. Don't stop at just a, having the gospel in word. Don't stop at knowing the precepts of the gospel. Don't stop at knowing the facts of the gospel. Tarry at Jerusalem. Tarry at the altar. Tarry on your knees. Tarry on your face. Do what you've got to do and shut yourself in and get closed in with God. 
And ask God for the promise. It's His promise to His people. And He'll take the power of Satan and break it. How many of you know that some of us, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, the, the devil has had authority in certain areas of our life? We, we've, how many of you know that if you, if, you give, uh, if you give some folks an inch, they take a mile? But see, the thing about the devil is if you give him, if you give him a little bit of a foothold, if you give him a little bit of a foothold, it'll become a stranglehold. It'll become a stronghold overnight. And, and what we've got to see is that God's desire for us is that the power of Satan be broken. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And, and he has that authority, he has that anointing, and he has the ability. If we'll come before him, we'll experience that power of Satan be broken and the power of God come into our lives. This evening,